Hello, Carm here, and we're talking about one of the most important tasks you can do for your business, raising your labor rate, or simply setting the correct labor rate. Now, don't shy away from this episode. Listen intently, take notes, and make an important change that will make a huge improvement in your shop's profitability. And there are so many shops out there that that struggle with their confidence, and uh, they just need someone to come in and tell them, hey, stop working on cars for just a minute. Let's talk, because you get in the you get in your blinders and the smaller shops particularly suffer with this because they're so busy. And when they tell me they're two weeks out, I just feel sorry for them. They don't see the bigger picture. Welcome automotive aftermarketers to a remarkable results radio town hall academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Yo, Carm Capriato here, and so glad to welcome you to Academy episode 152. Now, this may be just one of the most important episodes you're going to listen to this year, and it can make a huge difference in your business's profitability. Your reward for the money, effort, and time you've invested and continue to invest in your business. Hey, do you know that the Aftermarket's original single-subject forum, the Town Hall Academy, is sponsored by two important industry leaders, Shopware and Jasper? Hey, now look, it's time to transform your shop with the only management system that will give you more profit and more time. Find out how shops using Shopware are driving up their profit with more efficient staff and happier customers. Visit shop-ware.com for a free demo. Hey, think Jasper when your customer's vehicle continues to age and the likelihood that their engine or transmission is going to wear out. Now, with the average vehicle age at 11.8 years, it is a distinct possibility. So, if and when that day comes, Jasper will be the name to remember. Jasper's remanufactured products cost considerably less than a new vehicle. It just makes sense to choose Jasper. Hey, do you know that every podcast has a show notes page on my website? And there you'll find my guests' bios, links to their previous episodes, and the episode's key talking points. Now, find this podcast's show page at remarkableresults.biz slash A152. You can listen to every episode from the 650-plus content library. They're all segmented by series and keywords. Don't forget to subscribe to this Town Hall Academy on your favorite listening app. Search for the Town Hall Academy and subscribe. Now, one really neat listening app is the Spreaker Podcast Radio. Check it out and set all three podcast shows as favorites. Now, that's Remarkable Results Radio, the Town Hall Academy. And for the record, they've all been split out, so you've got to subscribe to all of them. The ASA Colorado Summit is happening at the end of January 2020, and I'll be there, so please stop by and say hello and even get a podcast sticker to display proudly as your commitment to being a perpetual student and a friend of the podcast. Hey, one of the most important moves you can make right now is to review your labor rate. Sure, you can increase it by the cost of living. However, there's more to consider and think about. And with me in this very smart and powerful discussion is Devin Kelly, All-Star Automotive, Columbia, Missouri, David Roman, Done With Care Auto Repair, Merriam, Kansas, and David Johnson, DJ Auto, Provo, Utah. Together, this team provided a very strong episode that covered a wide swath of strategies on labor rates, including, frankly, having the confidence to do it and not losing car count, the psychology of the sale, that most shop labor rates are 
really artificially low? Stop calling around to test your labor rate and stop having the hero syndrome. All of these talking points are among many other really key pointers you're going to get. Now, I know that AMN, Automotive Management Network, has a labor rate calculator on the premium side of their site. Hey, this could be the most important podcast episode of the year. Huge takeaways, gems of wisdom that can immediately, immediately help your company's profitability and growth. Glad uh, that the aftermarket is so willing to come on and share their wisdom so that all ships rise in our industry. You know, the Town Hall Academy is a summit for the forever automotive aftermarket student. I've got uh, probably one of the hottest topics of the entire Let me see. I've been doing this for five years now. Probably the hottest topic ever. So today we're going to talk about how to increase your labor rate without losing car count. My esteemed team, Devin Kelly from All-Star Automotive, Columbia, Missouri. Or should I say Missouri? I say Missouri. Missouri, Missouri, tomato, tomato. Okay. I'm I'm in Missouri. Got it. David Roman's with us. Done with care, auto repair in Merriam, Kansas. Hello, David. Hello. Uh, David Johnson from DJ Auto in Provo, Utah. Hello, David. Hello. Thanks for having me. David and Devin. Uh, David Johnson and Devin Kelly are new to the podcast. New voices. We're always looking for new voices. Thank you for being here. So how to increase your labor rate without losing car count. David Johnson, I want to go to you first. I think what we need to establish is the reason that labor rates needs to change and why we need to think that. Well, that's a great question. I, I think that you know we're behind the times, and there's a myriad of reasons why in our industry we're we're behind the times, and that uh, has to do with our culture and with many of the technicians who want to be shop owners and getting into the trade and and don't understand how businesses actually work, and so that that's probably the biggest hurdle is we're fix it guys. We can fix cars, but we struggle to fix businesses and most of us don't have the uh, education or the training to be able to do it properly. And that's, Carm, thank you so much for what you're doing in our industry to be able to uh, fulfill that obligation that we have as successful shop owners to pass this along to the next generation. Thank you. You know what? Uh, it's really all about you guys and every, all the four or 500 people that I've had on that have come on and said, hey, listen, I want to pay it forward. I want to share, be it you like my idea or you don't, but I've created some success. Let me share you share with you. And I've always said, if there's 250,000 shops out there and they're all independent, there are 250,000 different ways to run a business and to market your business and to raise a labor rate and to buy tools and to, and to hire people. And what we do is we, we try to bring all those great ideas to the industry and let you decide. So you pretty much, uh, you know, said that sometimes we're our own worst enemy. David, do you agree with that? Roman, David Roman? Yeah, I think we can be. And, and I want to make a, a distinction here. We're not going to lose car count. That, that might be true, but I don't want anybody to think that you can jack up your rates and not lose customers, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? You're going to lose 95% of your profit is being produced by the top 50% of your customers, meaning you can take the bottom half of your customer list, lose them and only lose 5% of your profit. You can use the Pareto principle as well. 80% of your sales are coming from 20% of your customers. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to lose customers. You don't need to lose car count, and we'll talk about why. Uh, but you are going to lose customers when you raise your rate. And one more thing, when we say raise your labor rate, it doesn't necessarily mean just 
going in tomorrow and putting $15 on your labor rate and there I fixed it. We're talking about everything. We're raising your labor rate to an acceptable level where you can be profitable, but it's also running your parts through a good matrix. It's also making sure your parts to labor ratio is correct. And if you have all of those things, people are going to tend to notice that your rates aren't quite what they used to be if you weren't doing all those things properly before. You know, David Roman brings up such a, it's a perfect, um, if, if you will, uh, scenario. Uh, I, I know too many business coaches that says, well, yeah, okay, go in and raise your labor rate 10 or $15, but that may not have been enough. There's so much to look at, right, guys? You may be happy with 10 or 15 but it still won't put you in the, the profit index that you need to be. And so you really need to do that look very carefully. Uh, we've done a lot of shows on this and so many coaches have come on and explained the details of how you actually establish a labor rate. But the, the point is, is if you can't get to that and you're part of that 60% of shop owners out there that aren't profitable for a myriad of different reasons, David, as you, as you pointed out, then and, and you're not prepared to jump in the deep end of the pool and figure it out to the you know nth level, then raise your labor rate while you're figuring it out. I think that's what you're saying. And, and, and another thing I continue to hear, and, and Devin Kelly, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, is just because the guy down the street is getting X doesn't mean you have to be Y. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. I like to get into the psychology of this topic a little bit because the numbers aren't holding us back. It's It's really who we are and how we think is what tends to hold us back. And so I love to get into the psychology of it. I mean, we're, we're not really competing on price anyways, if we're running a good business, right? So um, in the Davids and you, Carmen, have brought up some great points and um, we're really competing on our customer's experience and the value that we can provide. So the price really at a certain point can become irrelevant to an extent. And um, I think a lot of it comes down to how much does a business owner take pride in what they do and who they are? How much do they think of themselves? You know, is their self-esteem high enough to raise their labor rates? If it's not, let's break that down. Let's find out why. And um, I think some tools that have really helped me are being prepared to have different language. If I think my prices need to be higher to cover my operating costs and to express the value that I know I can to my customers, then I want to be prepared for how I'm going to be able to talk about that with my staff. My staff may not understand. So um, there's a lot of things we can do to be prepared for this. It's not always the right choice to just change a number and go. For some people it is, but for some people, I think we need to understand why we may be apprehensive and break that down and be a little bit more comfortable as we move forward. I love what he just said. Prepare my staff for what we're about ready to do so that we can sell it, sell the value. Uh, are, are you the guy who likes to uh, practice that? Yeah, I enjoy it a lot. I love talking about value proposition and being prepared with analogies because if we get too techy when we're talking about a reason why something's changed monetarily, we lose people really quickly. If we can have good analogies for things, then we just connect instantly and there's the discomfort's gone. There's always that great restaurant analogy. Um, who, who brought up the, the analogy, uh, the restaurant analogy? Which one of you guys was that? Was it? I did. Mm -hmm. Share it with us. This one I think applies very well. Have you ever eaten at a nice restaurant whose quality and value were obviously higher than the out-of-date cheap food place down the street? Well, that's us. We're, we're, we're the quality place you went in that, that you felt good and everything was good. And it was just a great experience. And when you compare that to down the street, you really weren't concerned with paying a little bit more because you got so much more. 
And so I like to use that analogy. Great example of how an analogy can help somebody understand without getting into something like, well, you know, our operator, our fixed costs are a certain percentage of sales. So we had to do X, Y, Z. People don't care and they don't need to know about that. David Johnson, talk to us about raising rates to maintain proper door flow. You know, I've attended a lot of expos and town hall meetings, and I love to travel and visit with other shop owners. And one of the things that catches me off guard, I have, obviously in our business, we have shop owners, a lot of bravado, and they want to talk about how busy they are. And uh, I remember talking to a guy at the expo, and I can't remember which one it was, I met so many of them, but he was out of Colorado and he had an import shop that specialized in Lamborghinis and all this stuff. And he was bragging about how busy he was. And I asked him really quick, you know, just tell me about your business. I I got five bays. And and he told me what his labor rate was. And I about puked at the table. And you cannot buy friends in this business with a low labor rate. You will go out of business. If you think you are too busy, you are too damn cheap, period. There's just no way around that. And so we have to get into a business mindset where we are establishing our culture with the value proposition. I love that term because that refers back to my mentor. And I'm going to throw his name out here, Cecil Bullard. I mean, he taught me most of this 15 years ago. And uh, it's made a huge difference in my, in my business. It's given me the confidence to uh, be 30% more than the dealer rate in our area. I mean, we just have to do that. There are people that are clamoring for something other than the dealership experience. And they're waiting to pay for it and they're able to. And so that 80-20 rule that Dave, Dave Roman talks about is exactly right. You've got to tailor your business. Becky Witt said it 20 years ago. Soap light paint, start there. Raise your labor rate. Give them features that they're going to want. Don't talk about price on the phone. Talk about their car. Talk about their, their needs and make that relationship because a transactional method is going to buy you a, a cheap hit, but it's not going to last. And that rapid growth they talk about during those cheap hits, it feels good, but it's not where you will have a long-term development in your business that will be satisfying for you. Um, you we've got to take better care of our staff, better care of our employees. I just I owe it all to those people that have helped me in the past that have given me the confidence to to do it right. And there are so many shops out there that that struggle with their confidence. And uh, they just need someone to come in and tell them, hey, stop working on cars for just a minute. Let's talk. Because you get in the base, you get in your blinders, and the smaller shops particularly suffer with this because they're so busy. And when they tell me they're two weeks out, I'm, I just feel sorry for them. They don't see the bigger picture. They think they're busy. They think they're profitable. And they don't understand that there's a difference between a shop owner making money and a business owner making money. That's different. You know, you're working in your business. Most of these guys, 60%, we talked about that number earlier, they went into debt to buy themselves a job. And it's sad, but it's the state of our industry. And, and I'm going to leave this place better than I found it. And if I can you know, stress that enough that you need to look at the numbers, you need to understand where your position is and market to that dealership alternative is, is really what we're looking at. Because there's, there's always the Walmarts of the world and we don't want to be that. We can't compete with that. But if we do the value proposition, we talk to them about you know, what their needs are and tailor our business to them, then we'll have lifetime customers. I'd rather have a lifetime customer than a transaction any day. You know, David Roman, he, he said something so interesting about the Lamborghini guy was kind of giving his services away as if he was a commodity and you don't have to. Yeah, I, I don't think anything we can we do because we're in a service industry can be considered a commodity, although we tr- attempt with like oil changes and tire rotations and things like that. Right. But I think they both they both made really good, really, really good points. 
specifically speaking to bringing that value proposition and tailoring to the customer experience. This is really referring to the little shops, the shops that don't have the the Taj Mahal looking shop. And and both of those guys have beautiful shops. I can I can tell you unequivocally that their shops are look a lot better than my shop. But we keep ours clean, we keep ours presentable, we keep ours professional, and that's your starting point. Keep it clean and professional. The rest of it comes in how you present yourself, how you present the value that you bring, the enthusiasm, the confidence you bring to the interaction. That makes all the difference. If you approach the customer with that confidence that you understand what they need and you have what they need in order to do whatever it is that they want to do, because people buy based off emotions, right? If we can present that in a confident manner, it doesn't really matter that my shop doesn't look as nice as David Johnson's or Devin Kelly's. It doesn't matter. It's clean, it's presentable, it's professional, but the way I approach my customers makes all the difference. And that's what differentiates me from everybody else around me. I've got probably 20 shops within a mile of me. So how do I differentiate myself when I don't have you know, a, a large waiting area? I don't have 15 big screen TVs. I don't have leather couches. You know, I barely have a coffee maker. Uh, how do I differentiate myself and how can I justify higher prices? Well, it just begins with the way you present yourself to your customer and understanding their needs first. And if you can tap into that, man, you can raise your rates to whatever you need them to be. It does, the price becomes irrelevant, like Devin said. Right. It becomes irrelevant because you're providing them something that nobody else can provide on a completely different, on a psychological level, on an emotional level. You're providing something that nobody else can. Yeah, you got to be confident about yourself. I think more importantly, you need to be confident about the service that you're providing to them. And I don't think there's any reason why the original water pump on an AC Delco truck that lasted 15 years, why we as an industry are still giving a one-year warranty on another AC Delco pump that we're going to put on. If the original pump went 15, why can't we go five, guys? I mean, that's my value proposition. I give lifetime warranty batteries. People keep coming back for all their services because I got a, I got a warranty that differentiates us from everybody else in our in our neighborhood. It's like, you can go over there and get 90 days or a year, or do you want five years? Do you plan on keeping this car? And you can have that conversation with your, with your clients about what, what do you want to achieve in maintaining your car? Do you want a 10 year car? Do you want a two year car? David Johnson, you must be crazy to give a lifetime warranty on a battery. Where, where'd you get up? Well, uh, my battery insulation charges are about twice of what the other guys in town, but people don't want to buy a battery. They don't want to buy a car that starts every time. And if you bring it to us just once a year so we can inspect that battery, do the service that they require, we'll maintain that battery for you. Well, while they're there, we take care of the other service, your inspection, your oil changes. It keeps it in-house. And so I'm happy to give away batteries. Let's do some math. So if someone comes in every four years and you get them a new battery, is that part of the investment in marketing to that customer? I mean, That gets written off in marketing. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Wow, inexpensive way after four years to keep that customer coming back, right? Absolutely. But he, he makes a point here to to state that he's looking, he asks the customer, how long do you plan on keeping this car? So if it's somebody that leases their vehicle every two years and they're flipping the car constantly, is that a customer that's going to appreciate the value that he brings to the table? Absolutely not. So be he understands the value that he brings to the table. He understands that I need to find that person that's going to appreciate what it is that I have to offer. And therefore, I can charge whatever I need to charge. I don't need to worry about my price because I know exactly what that person's looking for. 
Hey, Carm here, and I bet you think of your shop management system every day and wonder if it's time to make an important change, a change to a modern, efficient, and powerful system. Now, instead of thinking about your old system, I want you to consider Shopware, a comprehensive cloud-powered shop management system that gives your customers an end-to-end digital experience that will help you sell more services while making your customers happier. And who doesn't want happier customers? In a study of work orders written and shared on Shopware, sharing the digital work order with your customer generated a 12% increase in their likelihood to buy. Now, that translates to additional sales in your business. And with Shopware's proprietary parts GP optimizer, you can boost your parts margin with the click of a button and leave behind the pain of managing an old parts matrix. Put solid gross margin dollars back in your business because Shopware puts huge computing power into making you successful. Now it's time. Make the switch to Shopware. Get a free live demonstration at shop-ware.com and find out how you can make more money from happier customers. A vehicle is more than just transportation. It's what we depend on to move our most precious cargo, our families. As a service professional, you provide routine maintenance for your customer's vehicle, but what do you do if the engine, transmission, or differential fails? Contact Jasper, of course. Jasper provides your customers with a cost-effective alternative to purchasing a different vehicle. Quality, remanufactured products from Jasper Engines and Transmissions carry a nationwide warranty with up to three years, 100,000 miles parts and labor coverage. Get your customers back on the road fast as Jasper offers immediate availability through two distribution centers and a network of 45 branch locations nationwide. If a new vehicle is not in your customer's budget and the engine or transmission in their car, truck, van, or SUV has given its last performance, a remanufactured drivetrain component from Jasper Engines and Transmissions will provide them with many years of trouble-free driving at a cost many times less than that of a new vehicle. For customer satisfaction, choose Jasper. I love where this is going. Uh, I I have a feeling, guys, that people are going to tune in or they're going to listen to this and saying, oh, okay, so if I'm 109, I can go to 119 and why can We're talking about stuff completely different than the math here. And it's because math you guys... Math is irrelevant to a point. Yeah. You, because the number is whatever. Like, you know, one guy's 122, another guy's 108. It doesn't make a difference. Like, the price is irrelevant. You're probably artificially low. Uh, you're, or you're keeping the, the prices suppressed if you haven't done anything with them in the last five years. You know, you still have the same labor rate. I want to make this point. I, I went to a, to visit a shop, uh, here in the Midwest. Uh, he's in my mastermind group and I went out there to, to help him for a couple of days. And he, he was right across the street from a dealership in a really small town, right across the street from the dealership. His labor rate was probably two thirds of the dealership's labor rate. This was a nice shop. The front area looked beautiful, a beautiful bathroom, beautiful waiting area, front desk, offices, gorgeous, big shop in the back, great techs, excellent equipment, and his labor rate was two-thirds of what the dealership was, and he, he just couldn't wrap his mind around justifying increasing his labor rate, and it had nothing to do with the way the shop looked. It had everything to do with his systems and processes. He was still running his shop. Like it was 1984, he was handwriting tickets, and the shop had a dirt floor. That's the way he was managing his inflow, the, the customer interaction, the, the check-in process, the inspection and estimating process, the way he presented work. All of that culminates to the price, right? It, it builds up value all the, way around, uh, all the way along the process. 
if you check it in a certain way, if you speak to the customer a certain way, if you present yourself in a certain way, the reason why he was low on his labor rate is because he hadn't fixed any of those things. And the minute he started fixing those things, he's going to be able to raise his labor rate to whatever number he wants to raise it to and be able to provide for himself and his family the way he should because he was able to change his interaction, the way he spoke to the customers, the way he presented the work. All of those things make a difference and they can be changed tomorrow. You may not be able to put you know, marble on your floor and, and completely clean out all the clutter you may have in your shop. You may not be able to do that overnight. The way you talk to your customer, the way you interact with your customer, the questions you ask, the way you present the estimate, all those things you can fix overnight. And if you can fix those, all of a sudden price starts to become irrelevant. Isn't a labor increase always so much a bigger deal to the shop owner? You never hear a time where you raise your labor rate and somebody walks in the door and they say, you know what? This is $9 more than it was a year ago, you know, when I spent $450. I don't know if I'm okay with that. They're not connected in that way. I took a class by Ron Haugen years ago where he challenged the whole class to raise their labor rate by $15. And there was a lot of concern in the room. And I was excited because he does talk a lot about value proposition and things like that. And you guys have heard him on here. And um, I was totally bought in. I said, this is a no-brainer. And I was really excited. I think I went home or went to the shop that night after the class and, and changed it $15. And I remember just staring at the screen, being excited and thinking, man, you know, this is going to be great. Uh, recently, just about two weeks ago at our, my shop, we raised the labor rate $5, which if you get into the math a little bit and think about, well, our average hours per repair order is 1.7 hours. I multiply that times the $5 increase. That's about a $9 increase per repair order on average. You know, if you do a little rough math on your uh, your hours or your repair orders you sell in a week, you know that could be a forty thousand dollar increase in a year, and so that's a big deal to me as a shop owner. And if I'm apprehensive about increasing it, that's a big deal to me. It's never a big deal to the customer, no matter which way you flip it. But it's very impactful on the shop owner. Uh, I think we should decide how impactful we want it to be, and on which part of that equation we want to have a big impact because the the, the positive part of it is great, and it really makes no difference to the customer except for in a positive way, because if we can afford to add more value and we can afford to be there longer, that's absolutely a benefit to the customer. Yeah, technician turned shop owner is one of the difficult transitions to do. I mean, as a technician, we were the fix-it guy. We could fix anything in the neighborhood. We did it cheaper, faster, better. And many of us were thrown into this industry because you know we didn't have the money to pay someone else to fix it. And so cheap was better. And we got to get away from that mentality. Uh, some of the best thing a shop owner can do is sell your shop to a, a businessman instead of the shop owner because you were a technician. You always tried to fix it with the duct tape or the bailing wire because that's what you did to your bike when you were 10 years old, okay? But you you grew, you have to grow out of that mentality and to be able to, to understand that that's not what your clients are looking for. They're not looking for you to patch something up for them. If they are, you have the wrong clients. So you're presenting yourself wrong. And, you know, that crab bucket theology about calling everybody in the neighborhood to see what their labor rates are. Just, I mean, that's going to keep everybody down. The crab crawls out the side of the bucket. The other ones, guys, pull them down. If anybody you need to compare yourself to is the high-end guys and, and the dealerships. And the dealerships artificially have their pricing on their commodity level stuff low to, to maintain that status. They're, they're, they're not, uh, they try to be relationship, but they're getting into the transactional game. And we don't play that game. That's not something we want to do. We want to 
change the culture in our industry to where people will look to us to be the experts. We are the experts. If my service advisor doesn't tell somebody on the phone when I hear a phone call come in, oh, yeah, those are easy. We work on those all day long. We're, we specialize in that car. I mean, we need to let those people know that we understand their vehicle as good or better than the dealership. We have warranty better than the dealership. We use dealer parts. And that way, like I said, we're $30 more labor hour than our dealerships in our area. And our doors are swinging hard. If we schedule, pre-schedule when they leave, you know, there's three appointments everyone should have when, before they leave here. And that can maintain your door flow because a lot of guys get scared. Oh, shoot, we're slow. What am I going to do? Send a monkey out on the street and put him in a, give him a sign to wave. That, that doesn't, it's the ebb and flow that can kill the numbers in your business. So if you're building your, 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 uh, your schedule out and maintaining that, that gets rid of a lot of the fear that we as shop owners have is, oh, how am I going to make payroll this month? You know, it's, uh-oh, here comes December. Yeah, or uh-oh, here comes whatever it is. We always have a reason why it's not busy. But we don't, as a as a industry, do a very good job of the pre-schedule, the dentist style of, of pre-scheduling their, their appointments. And if we had that, then we'd have more confidence. And with more confidence, which is what other coaches have helped me with, given me the confidence to do this. And most shop owners do not have that kind of confidence. And that's the root of the problem. And it's where they came from. They were the fix-it guy. That is the root of the problem is the confidence. Because look, the dealership has that built in. Yes. The the dealership has that built in. They can charge whatever they want. Everybody just assumes that they're the expert because of the dealership. So whether they have a 1999 oil change, it doesn't suppress the value, the perceived value of the dealership. Where the mom and pop shop, you're doing 1999 oil changes, something is up. You're the cheapest in town, or you don't know what you're doing, or using cheap products. Something is up. You don't have that clout built into the dealership, so it becomes about it becomes about presenting yourself with confidence mm-hmm. and understanding what it is that you have to offer. And if you don't know what that is, start working on it tomorrow and start looking for things that you can start uh, believing in within your shop that therefore you can sell to your staff, and then they can present it to your to the customers properly. Right. That that cheap. Price game, that's one that you're not going to win. You can you can try, and if you want to make it about price, I mean, I think perhaps you could say the only way you're going to win is to beat somebody's price, but someone will always be cheaper. It's just something you're never going to win. I wrote down with big stars around it the word confidence, David Roman, and uh, as one of the, the, the big issues, let's go back to your friend in the mastermind group who's across the street from the dealer uh, who's got some problems inside the business, and that's why he felt he was artificially, or maybe that's where his labor rate needed to be. But let's think about someone who's got an artificially low labor rate, and they're doing a lot of the things right. What message do we give to them? I don't think that works. I think every single time you walk into a business where the labor rate is low, lower than it should be, something is up. Like I said, I walked into the shop and it was beautiful from the from the lobby. The back was big and was well-equipped and he had three fantastic technicians. I spent two days with these people. These were great guys. He had a good reputation in the, in the, uh, in the town. Uh, he was, he had, um, a great relationship with his customers. Uh, he had been in the, in the city for a long time. There was no reason why he shouldn't have been $20, $30 higher on his labor rate. But as soon as you saw the way he interacted with his customers, that, that was the aha moment. It's like, uh, there it is. That's why he can't get his labor rate because he still thinks he's in 1984. He still thinks like he's handwriting these tickets. That customer, like David Johnson alluded to, is looking for a different experience. And they don't want the dealership experience. You don't need to mimic the dealership. 
and it has nothing to do with having a Taj Mahal shop and having you know fresh baked cookies, although that's nice. Um, it has nothing to do with those things. It has everything to do with the confidence you have in yourself, your services, your abilities to provide them what they're needing and connecting with that customer on a different level. Devin Kelly mentioned it. That's a, the, psycholo- the psychology of the interaction. That's what you need to focus on. Because if you can fix those things, the price becomes irrelevant. So, Devin, it's all about the value proposition and, and figuring out what it is. Uh, could you possibly take us down a little path to help our listeners figure out what they need to come up with as their value proposition? Yeah. The only way they're going to be able to explore that is by taking some time to do some practicing. They should probably be recording some of their phone calls practicing this, whether with a live customer or not. I mean, we don't want all of our practice to be during game time. If they can spend a little time outside of the actual game doing practice like any professional sport would, they're going to find they're going to be a lot sharper when it comes to when it really matters. And it's going to be different for everybody, but the value proposition contains things like analogies and language that people can relate to. Being relatable is so important. And it's easy for us in our industry to forget just how uncommon some of these terms are for everybody else. It's like medical terminology. We go to the doctor and they tell us all kinds of things. We're like, yeah, yeah, of course. And some of it goes way over our head, but we're not comfortable speaking up because we're so far from that knowledge. We're just like, I'm not even going to get into that. Um, So I think the practice is a really important part. And I have a couple of examples here of um, if somebody's not prepared to discuss something involving value, it, it can sound a lot like, I'm sorry, it's so expensive. Can we discount that to keep you from leaving a bad review? And you completely devalue your company and yourself uh, when you're not prepared. And when you can be a little bit more prepared, you can say things like, you know, Mr. Customer, the fastest and most economical way for us to help you with this concern is by performing these services with this excellent value. No one can deliver this much value at this price. And being prepared can make all the difference because you come through with so much more confidence. So that's why I reference the practice. I think that's a great way for someone to explore what that can look like for them. You have to believe in the words you say. Absolutely. You can never successfully sell something, if you want to call it sales, if you don't believe in what you're doing. If we go back to the psychology (laughs) of things, I mean, I've, I've been doing front counter stuff for 20 years. And so a lot of this is stuff you learn over time. But if you have service advisors, you, you will watch them and you will train them and, and you will help them understand, you know, the, the good trigger words as opposed to the bad trigger words that uh, you use when you, when you, you know, talk with your clients. A lot of it, I mean, the presentation is absolutely critical and, and our industry is turning more towards, you know, internet presence and phone call appointment, phone call, you know, discussing it over the phone and the interpersonal thing, I think a lot of our, our uh, clientele still want. And so I think it's, it's good to, to be able to present well in, in your environment there. So somebody comes in, if you got video recording, watching your, your service advisor, you can watch that, you can analyze it, you can, you can make it easier for them to do their job by giving them tidbits on, on what they're doing right and what, they're, what they may not be doing uh, that is best for the presentation. Obviously, being prepared, being confident, not having a lot of distractions. I, I've seen these guys that got a 40-year-old shop that have 500 signs in the room, and, and that's just that doesn't help you maintain your eye contact with your clients because when you're presenting at the counter, you have a list of the things that they've asked that they want you to do. You've got a list of the things that you want them to do. And you're going down that list. And if they're not paying attention to you because they're looking at the sign behind you that says, 
we do this or we do that, or there's a tire sitting next to them or parts on the counter, you're not going to know when it's time for you to stop because you've pushed hard enough and it's time to review the things that they've already approved and set those appointments for the things that they want to do later. You don't want anything up there. And, and all these sales guys bring you crap to set up on your counter. That's just going to make it harder for you to read your clientele, to read their eyes, to see when they're, they're done. You can get a great ARO if you got at the counter. A lot of guys can get great ARO over the phone, and there's triggers that you can hear. The psychology is huge on this. There's, there's, you could read 100 books on this and still not understand what color your room needs to be, where the chocolate needs to be sitting on the counter, where the monitors need to be, and, and the eye contact, and, and how if somebody comes in the room while you're talking with them, you have somebody else jump up and take care of them. You don't break that situation. When to, when to give a pause. I mean, there are so many different psychological um, techniques that we have in our industry that that if you don't pay attention if you don't read if you don't study you don't got it i mean you're in the bays you are fixing cars you're yelling at techs and until you get to a size to where you can actually step back and look and this this was about five years ago for me when i was able to step back and watch okay and let things go and then you can see how these things interact and that's when you can have a true success in your business knowing that it can turn key by itself and that's where you will be truly successful. And then you can do what you want to do because that's what this, that's what this industry is going to give back to you, give you the freedom, the power to do the things that you want to do. And you won't get there if you're working in the bays. You got to watch and see what's going on. I love what David Johnson just said. It was five years ago that I finally figured it out. And that's one of the things that I've been discovering as a podcaster in this industry for five years, being intimately involved with your success as, as an industry. Are you kidding me? It's, it's this is the golden age of success. I mean, I think we're all just figuring it out. And you know, coaching has never been so prevalent. It, 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 training and, and conferences are are it. All we have to do is to fill up the northbound train and get the rest of the team on it and and go. And, and I and I think you three who are on this show weren't born to be successful, brilliant, unbelievable entrepreneurs. You've in some cases, struggled and figured it out, and 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 probably were at the lowest of your lows, and 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 now you're here speaking like unbelievable experts. You probably spent the first ten years working in it, the next five years chasing bottlenecks, and then the last five years of actually figuring out the psychology of what's going on around you, and being able to help your staff and train them in a way that they're able to do this without you. And think of the think of the people that are out there, the, the shop owners that are out there that are listening to this saying, are you kidding me? I have to practice my sales pitch. Someone needs to videotape me or my, my sales guy and then critique it. And we, what can we do better? We, we've got to we've got to listen to recorded phone calls. Wait a minute. I, I didn't sign on for this stuff. This is way above any pay grade I thought I would have. But you're telling the story of the level of profitability that can be in this industry if you start doing a lot of things different. I don't want to say the word do them right because there's a lot of rights, but to, but to be different and be more sophisticated. And I think this podcast is going to go a long way to shake, shake a tree. And it doesn't need to be like overwhelming. At least start with some training find some training you can go to because uh, Devin Kelly mentioned Ron Hogan and, uh, and I think it was, it was a mock event probably right uh, yep. where they came down and he came down and had a, had an evening. It was probably very inexpensive and man, 
I went to one of his classes and that made a world of difference for me. I think it was 2016. I went to one of his classes. He started saying all these crazy things like you got to inspect every vehicle and you got to, you got to charge what you're worth. And I mean, it was, there were just mind blowing concepts for me. Ludicrous, isn't it? <laughs> and so it at least starts with trying to find information, at least start there and start working on the way you present yourself and start working on uh, how you speak with customers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's not going to be you, make sure you get training to your people and your service advisor or, you know, whoever else is working in the business that's actually interacting with the customers because that's where you're going to have your largest increase uh, price-wise is the way you interact with the customer. If you can fix that, then, you know, the price, you can set the whatever price you want to set. Hey, guys, let's jump into the fact that uh, we, maybe we should have multiple labor rates depending on the kind of work we do. That's a great question. Um, yes, uh, at least two or three. And it comes down to uh, profit generated per hour build. And so if you're doing diagnostics, there's no part sales guys there. And, and it's not a lost leader. That's the most expensive guy in the shop, the most expensive tooling and training. Uh, I mean, I can give you some rough numbers. If you're not four or five bucks a minute for every minute that tech is, is diagnosing stuff, you're, you're, you're giving it away. And we don't give things away to try to get some gravy. That that's a that, so many shops free diagnostics will roll it into the price. It's it's just ridiculous uh, what we give away out there for our knowledge and our expertise. Um, I can't stress that enough. You you've got to do your dollars per minute, what it generates to the shop, and and understand that concept that that your different labor rates will take care of that problem because that is a huge problem. Understanding your numbers, right? Yes. Understanding how much it, it starts. Uh, we're doing this in our mastermind group right now. We're starting with personal goals, personal income goals. And it's not just the number. It's what we want to do with our money, right? It's how many vacations we want to take, how much we want to put in a retirement, how much debt we want to pay down, you know, what stuff we, we want to buy. What do we want to do with our money? And then rolling that into our businesses. And then to, once we have a, a number, an idea of how much profit we want to generate, we start looking at our expenses and start building from there. Then we can break it down and figure out how much dollars per hour we need to build hours uh, we need to generate. And then we can start adjusting our labor rates saying, yeah, I'm not getting any parts, but I need to be generating 120 gross profit dollars per build hour. Therefore, my labor rate, once I factor in the cost of my technician, needs to be this for an hour of diagnostic time. Having those numbers all worked out makes a huge difference because now, now it's not, I got a phone call from a shop that's right down the street from me. And this is what you don't want to do. Super nice guy, nice shop owner. He, he does what he does well. But his service advisor was calling me to ask me what my labor rate was because he didn't want to be the highest and he didn't want to be the lowest. <laughs> and and he needed to change it. Yeah, he needed to change it for 2020 and he wanted to see kind of, kind of about where I was so he could kind of put it around there the same dollar amount uh, that's just insane to me like it needs to be it needs to be more scientific it needs to be more calculated more empirical you need to have these numbers all worked out and then there isn't a question as to why you're charging you know 172 dollars for that hour of diag you know exactly why because you've had all the math done on the back end and it's not just what you need to make to be, have a success in your life. There's that number above that, which is what the market will pay. Hopefully, there's a number above that, which is what the market will pay, what the market will bear. True economics will tie to that number also. Because a lot of guys, oh, man, my shop's paid off 20 years ago, and I don't really train. And so that number I calculated is the $90 an hour guy. And it's a legitimate number. They're happy at that. But that's not what the market will 
bear. If the market will bear more, we must do more because we have a responsibility to give back to our industry. We are decrepit in our industry. We stand to lose so much in the next 15, 20 years unless we tool up, train up, and get to where we need to be. And these guys that are working 20-hour days and all weekend long just to try to finish up that car are causing this problem. They're too busy to see what's going on around them. Um, yeah, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. And, that, and that's where a SWOT analysis... Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. With the with the multiple labor rates with diagnostics, here's where our culture gets in the way. We're the fix it guys. We can fix anything. So we go into hero mode. I mean, an hours an hour time diagnostic really should be 15 minutes on the tax clock if you're doing it right. But after 15 minutes, if he doesn't figure it out, he wants to be the hero. And how many times you gone out there and it's been 30 minutes, 45 minutes and, oh, well, I got an hour. No, you don't have an hour to figure that out because we need to build the rate dollarly hour to be able to, to stay in business. But we are the heroes. That's, in, that's ingrained into us. And we're going to go figure it out, damn it, until we got it figured out and then we don't end up billing for it. And every one of us have done that here. Dave, you've done it. Devin, you've done it. You know it. Okay, I've done it. It's, it's our pride and it gets in, in the way of business. Okay, figure out what you need to charge every hour you are there and make sure that income is coming in. And with multiple rates is what you have to do. I mean, in our town, um, it's semi-rural as you go south. And so you've got a bunch of guys in storage units who work on diesel trucks for less money than cars. Now, diesels are more complicated than cars now for the tooling and training that you need. And so I don't understand how diesel guys are charging less. It just drives me nuts. They, they are dirt floor guys and it's their, their job's going to go away here pretty quick unless they tool up and train up. Uh, they're going to lose it to the big guys, the, the big truck shops now. Um, you have to have different rates for trucks, different rates for cars, for hybrids, for crying out loud. I mean, if you, we build batteries here. You think I'm charging, you know, $140 to build a battery? Heck no. You know, we're, we're the 250, 300 range. Now, customer asks me how much, I'm not going to tell them we're 300 an hour. I'm going to tell them we have a five-year battery that's going to take your Prius another 100,000 miles. And this is what it costs. And by the way, it's going to be a little bit more than the dealer, but the dealer battery is only going to have a two-year warranty. Mine's nationwide. We're good. Here, by the way, here's, here's a loaner. While, you can, while we're fixing your car, take the loaner. The dealer's not going to give that to you. And uh, we'll take care of you. We'll call you when it's ready. And we'll take care of all everything. Um, a car that will start. We don't sell batteries. We sell a car that will start every time. And that value proposition is uh, where you get your above dealer rates. And I wish everyone was 20% or more above dealer rates. Then the dealers would be chasing us instead of the other way around. It's the way it ought to be because we're better than them. We get better warranties. We use just as good of parts. We have, we can have that capacity to have great service bays, you know, the polished marble floors. We could have that if we could have that rate. And there's plenty of cars out there, guys. It's, uh, it's amazing what doesn't get uh, sold across the counters in this nation. Uh, there's so much work out there. So there's another dynamic to the rate that we charge when we talk about multiple rates. I love the question, how much do you charge an hour? And I love the conversation about it too, because when, if, if we want to be answering this question ethically, we really need to be at least looking at our effective labor rate because what we charge per hour has nothing to do with what may be set in our point of sale system. Right. You know, we've really got to be looking at how much we're actually charging per hour. And so I love that conversation because it, it just changes the tone instantly. If a customer says, well, how much is your hourly rate? And I say, well, of course it would depend on what we're doing. And sometimes I just stop there and wait for a response to see 
what their response is. And they're kind of confused. I say, well, we don't charge the same rate for our time when we're changing your oil versus changing an engine. Uh, every job is priced just for what it is, that job. There is no hourly rate for everything that we do. And I think that's the most ethical response, in my opinion, because it's true. If you really look at how much you're billing per hour um, in the big picture, there is no one labor rate. It fluctuates all day long. You mean a gallbladder has a different price than cancer surgery? Yep, and you have to still pay for testing if you go in to have either one assessed. <laughs> David, uh, Roman, you uh, you s- is said the SWAT word, and uh, I-, I was uh, excited to hear that. Uh, let's let's talk about that. Yeah, so David Johnson brought up the point of not just setting your your labor rate based on personal income goals, right? Because the market may uh, allow for a higher price. But if you sit down, and he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. But once you start factoring in certain things, if you sit down and do a SWOT analysis, you start looking for not just strengths and weaknesses, which you can fix, right? But you're looking at opportunities and specifically threats. What do I need to plan for now over the next three to five years? How much equipment am I going to have to buy? What kind of training am I going to have to to put my guys through? What kind of labor or what kind of wages am I going to have to pay to stay competitive uh, in my area? And that all needs to be factored into your pricing. If you actually sit down and do the the strategic planning, if you do that, then you start looking at, oh, I need to pad this. Excuse me. I need to pad this a little bit because... You know, just just meeting my income goals isn't going to be enough. I need to make sure that I'm mitigating these risks that are going to happen in three to five years. I'm surrounded by dealerships that all have, you know, 26 plus bays and they keep building a new one every single month. Uh, And they have to fill these bays up with people. And so they're throwing crazy uh, wage bonuses and wage rates Stuff that we didn't see two, three, five years ago. Now, I mean, these prices are just, they're skyrocketing. I've got to be able to manage that as a small independent repair shop. How am I going to deal with that? And that doesn't happen by just keeping the labor rate and jacking it by $15 and then calling it good. That takes actual, like, let's sit down, let's do a SWOT analysis. Let's look at some strategic planning over the next three to five years and then factor in my income goals. And then I can start formulating a plan and then start working the plan to make sure that I'm meeting and I stay in business in the next three to five years. Goals are, is a really important concept in that. I think a lot of the shops that have a labor rate that's probably not where it should be for our day and age, they likely don't have a goal for net profit as a percentage of sales. Until you determine where you need to be there, it can be very difficult to determine what you should be charging. Obviously, there's a lot more factors than that, but Many shops just may not be setting enough goals to direct their path. Wow. I just so love where this has gone. And uh, SWAT, great thought here, David, that you brought up. I appreciate that. If anyone wants to hear more on SWOT, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats, we have done shows on it. Go to the website, find the search bar, type in SWOT, and listen. I know there's one absolutely great episode it was done two years ago while we were in las vegas i believe and boy it really hits a home run and i get swat i would love to come to your shop and do a swot the the outsider who comes in and engages the entire team in in it It, well well, the owner sits on the side and to me i think that's one of the best ways to do it get an outsider to come in and help you with it and 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 then the team takes all the stuff that came out of it and then you kind of work it into like david said into what we 
what we got to do to to get to the next level. Hey, guys, uh, we went way beyond what I would have expected us to be. I didn't want to hold you down and stifle you. And I've got a million notes that I would love to keep talking about. But maybe what we need to do is to do a part two on this. Uh, I think you guys would probably welcome that. What's that, David Johnson? What 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 is that? When people ask you how high your rates are, you tell them they're giraffe high. <laughs> it's a baby giraffe. It's an inside joke. A lot of my guys will get it out there. I love it. Well, look at I. I get I, it up, boys. I want to thank Devin Kelly, All Star Automotive. You you guys have a final word here, so so bear with me here. I just want to give you recognition again, Devin Kelly, All Star Automotive, Columbia, Missouri. David Roman, done with care auto repair, Miriam, Kansas, and David Johnson, DJ, Auto Provo, Utah. Guys, uh, there was probably things we didn't cover that you would love to be able to share with the industry, you know, from, if you will, your best coaches mentality. Uh, Let's do something to change our industry by uh, getting, um, you know, your final words on on raising labor rates, but uh, never losing uh, car count. I'll start with you, Devin Kelly. Okay. First, it's been a really big honor for me to speak with you guys. Thank you so much. I just love these podcasts. I've listened to so many of them anyways. It's a huge honor for me. So thanks for having me on. Thank you. And I did want to share also that most people probably wouldn't even believe what I've done in my business over the past year. I don't believe it until I go back and look at some of the things. It's just incredible what has been possible way outside of average. And I think some of the most important things that have enabled that to happen are uh, things like I go to a lot of classes, I do a lot of training, but I implement a lot of what I hear. I am not scared to make big changes in my company. And there's been times where I changed too much too fast and that was an issue, but I wasn't scared to try it. And so I think that's something that's brought me a lot of success, not just going to the training, but I am not scared to implement. And so I just wanted to share that because things like implementing a, a higher labor rate when I did a labor rate analysis or when Ron told me to, um, I just did it. And I think that's the biggest thing that's brought me success. So uh, obviously having a mentor like Ron Haugen, my ATI shop coach, Paul Marsh, and, and just so many people have made it all possible, but I implement. And so without that, I don't think any of, any of it would have mattered. One of the biggest takeaways I think we have here, and, and I know you guys realize that you would have never been to the success level that you are if you just went to a class check that box <laughs> like david says i listened to ron and i says okay wow that really looks good up on the shelf that little workbook that i got and you never did anything with the information you never implemented and you, you talk to a coach and they'll tell you that's the biggest thing you know yeah they get paid to go out and teach and consult and do all those things but you know i, I know the people that are going to go out and make a difference in their business and i know the ones that aren't and the ones that do are implementers. And if it doesn't work like Devin says, you try it again. You you modify, you tweak, you change, and you keep going at it. I have a, a For the Record coming out on Monday, and there'll be a little bit of that in there. So thanks for, for bringing that up, Devin. David Roman, last word? So it doesn't take a lot to raise your labor rate. You know, the math is it, it is what it is. But just clean the shop up. Make sure it's prof- professional and presentable, and then work on the way you talk to your customers. If you can fix that, then the sky's the limit for you. You're you've got a leg up on everybody else who's who's trying to, you know, do all these other things to to be able to justify raising their labor rate. But connect with your customers on a one to one basis. Get some training on that. It'll make the world a difference. 
Short and sweet and powerful. Thank you, David Roman. David Johnson, you have the last word. If I had one thing I would could share through the screen to you, it would be the confidence to be able to take what you've learned at training and not dismiss it because it's hard, because it's not what you thought it would be. And to use that, to implement that, and to find the time, get out of the bay. If you're a smaller shop, you got to get somebody up to the front. Get out of the bay so you can watch your business succeed. Because if you're not watching it, it won't. Have a nice day. Wow, giraffe high. Thank you, guys. Devin Kelly, David Roman, David Johnson. Thank you so much. Great, great wisdom. And uh, you guys knocked it out of the ballpark. Thank you, guys. Raise your rates, 2020. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. We'll talk soon.